Hello, and welcome to the Hull Libraries podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Katie. In this episode, we had a conversation with the amazing Calvin Innes, a wonderful artist and illustrator, but also a man of many hats and talents, as you'll find out. And after this, you can hear us chatting to our colleague Matt about science fiction, invented worlds, as Matt picks some of his current and all-time favourite reads and watches. But first up with Calvin, we chatted about the good and bad of lockdown as a creative person. Some of the amazing projects he's been involved with, including something really big that will be appearing all over Hull in the near future. We also talked about how he got started drawing and picked up some great tips about learning from mistakes. His website over at calvininnis.com is well worth checking out for examples of all of the different styles of art he produces, plus links to his videos and live streams on YouTube. So put on the kettle and put up your feet, or pop in the headphones and pop on your walking boots, and enjoy our chat with the wonderful Calvin Innes. Firstly, I guess the big question for this year is, how's lockdown for you at the moment? Because we're in currently lockdown three. Um, yeah, it's a bit weird this time around, to be honest. It's kind of, I'm, I'm still... Um, half at home, half sort of working. So obviously running the business, I, I, I have to be in there sometimes. Um, nobody else is. Nobody else is working from home. Um, but I'm, I'm sort of halfway between the office and at home. Uh, much prefer being at home, to be honest. I quite enjoy it. Yeah, I tend to keep keep kind of fairly busy. Um, that's been the nicest thing about this, the sort of the lockdown sort of recently is I've, I've got to spend a lot more time at home and with the kids. And um, I think once this all does sort of blow over, I'm, um, I'm going to, stick to the same sort of routine as well try to spend kind of half my time at home half my time at work um because yeah like i say the last the last probably 10 15 years i've worked a ridiculous amount so when you check your website out it says you're <laughs> it says you're an illustrator cartoonist artist author designer and presenter yep so what do you reckon you'd say is like the domineering one that is actually what you started out at and what you shot complete passion it's weird it kind of goes across two things it's kind of i've, I've always been an illustrator I've, I've, I've drawn since i was a kid um i've drawn since i could i could pick up a pencil um i think whatever else i was doing i'd, I'd still draw um it's kind of what i do to relax it's, it's part of my job it's, it's kind of what i enjoy doing um but at the same time i kind of I really get kind of a big kick out of sort of working with kids and sort of uh, teaching kids to draw as well um, i've done that for the last coming on for 10 years now um, so that's that's something that I'm really missing now because obviously I can't kind of do much of that with with lockdown. Um, been doing lots of the online stuff, um, sort of like YouTube channel and 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 live sort of video feeds that kind of stuff, um, which are good. Which, you know, the the, the fun. Um, it's it's not really the same though. Um, it's nice actually being in being in schools and being in colleges and stuff and working with groups of sort of two or three hundred kids. Um, I do sort of really enjoy that. So, so hopefully that's going to come back next year. Yeah, we all hope that. We hope and we can get you booked in for loads of sessions as well at, at libraries because the way you deliver a session, you have a really big like flip chart with a marker pen. All the kids have a pad of paper and a pencil and you just start doodling and drawing, but you get them involved in such a relaxed manner. You see the kids develop these fantastic images. It, it's really lovely to see because some of the kids are absolutely in awe and watch you drawing. Well, it, it, it's good fun. It's kind of like um, the way I've always approached it is, is is the way the way I learned to draw. I was never taught how to draw. I I, I taught myself how to draw. I used to watch a lot of cartoons. I, I say I used to. I still watch a lot of cartoons and read comics, and I'm, still, I'm basically kind of a, an almost forty year old giant geek. Um, I mean, I've always just been obsessed with cartoons and comics and 80s TV. And so I, I kind of taught myself to draw from copy and that kind of stuff and just, just sort of coming up with my own little sci-fi stories. And so the way I sort of approach most of these sort of lessons when I'm teaching kids is exactly the same way, is, is, is not worrying about making it perfect, not having to follow tons and tons of rules, keeping it super simple. Um, most of the time, pencil and paper, because, I mean, half the time with kids when you're kind of teaching them to draw, they obsess about what kind of paper they're using. Do they have the best pens because they've seen an artist use a particular pen? It makes no difference. Pencil and paper is all you need. And then you literally just, just sort of have fun with it. Um, and 
kind of not worry about making mistakes. Um, that's kind of the biggest thing you sort of get across to when you're sort of teaching kids how to draw is mistakes are brilliant. Mistakes are a really good thing. Um, it's how you learn. It's how you come up with cool ideas. It's how you develop. If you never made mistakes, you'd never get any better. Um, but it's kind of the opposite to the way most kids can start off thinking. So hopefully by the end of the sessions, they're, they're kind of, you know, sort of enjoying themselves a little bit. Am I right in remembering you normally say don't don't cross out a mistake, leave it on your paper and you always go around and have a look at what they've done? Yeah, yeah, that always gets lots of groans and complaints at the beginning of a lesson. Um, I, I never let anybody rub any, anything out. Um, not I'd scribble anything out, not I'd screw anything up. Um, it's kind of the first thing most kids want to do, especially if they kind of sit down and they're in a, a drawing lesson. Um, they think they have to make everything absolutely perfect. Um, so, yeah, I don't let them do any of that. Essentially, keep all your mistakes. Um, mainly, I mean, you can you can look back on your mistakes, and so you don't make the same mistake again. But some of the best kind of uh, sort of characters and, and drawings and stuff that I've come up with have come off the back of a mistake, and then you just sort of run with it and, and add in new ideas and that kind of stuff. Um, so a lot of it is kind of changing the way kids approach drawing um, to not not be stressed about it. Literally, it's about having fun. Drawing's meant to be fun. So let's go back to the beginning then. How did you get started? What took you down the... I know you said you loved drawing and it's the first thing you did and you picked up a pencil and started doodling, but where did you actually start out? What what happened for you to get where you are now? Um, I've had a... I've had a weird career, to be honest. I kind of, um, I, I, I started off, um, I suppose, professionally when I was sort of 16. I got my first book published when I was 16. Um, and it was a, it was a really random thing. I'd kind of, I'd done, I'd been drawing for a long time anyway. Um, I, I, I created kind of a, a weekly comic thing at school where the teachers allowed me to kind of take half an hour out of a lesson every week, um, out of sort of every day to put this comic together that then we printed up and put out around the school and stuff. Um, I'd always done things like that. Um, but then I, I stumbled across um, this sort of competition to kind of illustrate a book. And I was massively proud, obviously, kind of the first book published. I think the book sold like five copies. Um, it, it, it barely went anywhere. But the fact that I had a published book kind of, sort of really spurred me on um and then i just i've always done this thing where uh, I, I kind of i like a challenge i like any sort of opportunity that comes up so not having gone through university to learn how to draw colleges to learn how to draw being completely self-taught i i've learned to draw in a lot of different ways um so i'm kind of quite comfortable painting really sort of realistic portraits or painting murals or drawing cartoons or, or, or whatever um i kind of i kind of developed sort of the way I draw from having to earn a living. Um, so if a job came up and said, like, look, we'll pay you to draw this, can you do it? It's like, yeah, of course I can. And then I'll go learn how to do it. So is that you pretty much started off self-employed from the start? Uh, yeah, yeah, self-employed to begin with. And then I have ended, ended up working for lots of different agencies, um, sort of, because um, I, I kind of got into marketing quite quite early on as well. So I've worked in marketing for, for sort of 20 years um, as, a, as a freelancer initially. Obviously, I run my own company for the last sort of eight years. Um, but before that, I was kind of like hired in as a freelancer to draw like loads of stuff. I mean, at one point, I redesigned all the Girl Guides badges, um, redid all the kind of the brownies and the girl guides logos all that sort of stuff i used to design all the characters and things for london zoo um sea life center um and that was other agencies buying me in as a as a cartoonist i suppose to kind of illustrate all these kind of toys and cartoons it's it's a weird weird sort of journey again because it's kind of uh because I, I worked in i illustrated children's books for a long time so i've got kind of like sort of 30 kids books out um and at one point i i had lots of ideas for children's books that i wanted to put out but I was struggling to find a publisher for these for these ideas. So I set up a pub publishing company and started publishing my own books. And then that grew into, uh, I basically ended up running the company for about eight years. We had 20 authors on board. We had worldwide distribution. We had kind of like, it, it turned into quite a big, a big publishing company. Um, I never wanted to be in publishing at all. I just sort of found myself doing it. Um, I mean, like I say, my background has always been marketing and advertising. Um, so I, I sort of, started swaying more and more towards advertising the books and doing the marketing for the books that's what i sort of enjoyed more um so when we eventually kind of shut down that company partly because things shifted over to digital rather than print books um the market was just changing too much i had an opportunity to well i had, I had a choice either to go back and work for another marketing agency which i'd done freelance for a long time or to set up my own agency and kind of start doing things the way that i wanted to do it 
Um, and I wanted to do fun stuff. I wanted to do stuff that was exciting and challenging and sometimes controversial and, and basically have an agency that didn't have the limits that other agencies had that I'd worked for in the past. Um, so, yeah, we set up Drunk Animal um, eight years ago now. Um, it's just kind of sort of grown from there. And what was your first big project for that company that you set up? I think the first the first thing that kind of really started getting people at least locally talking about us was when we worked for um, the whole university and we did uh, Tilly the Turtle. Um, so we ran kind of a six-month campaign across the music festivals in Hull to collect plastic waste. And then we designed this huge sort of 15-foot turtle made out of plastic waste that we then built and um, got national TV coverage, got shared millions of times. Um, that kind of sort of, as far as a, an agency that does things that are a little bit different and does these sort of interactive kind of um, installations, that's the thing that kind of initially got us noticed. Um, and since then, it's just kind of it's just kind of grown. Um, we've got probably like 15 of us now in the agency. Um, we've just done a campaign that's uh, been seen by like two and a half billion people, which is insane. Um, so yeah, it, it's 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 fun now. But that's kind of that, the same ethos from the beginning. We, we, we do stuff that we it's fun and exciting and, and it's going to get, get people noticed, you know. So this one you just mentioned, two billion, did you say, that I've just yeah. have seen? Is that the Shoreline Project of the girls? Uh, no, Shoreline Project is another another big project. Um, no, we, we launched, um, we worked with a company sort of uh, from down there, um, Ipswich, who launched the world's first paper wine bottle. Um, so we handled all the designs for that and the PR behind it and the marketing behind it. Um, and yeah, it went global. Uh, I was in the Financial Times sort of yesterday. It was in Guardian a couple of weeks ago. It's been in 54 countries or something ridiculous. It's uh, It's gone absolutely huge. How does a paper wine bottle work? <laughs> um, it's it's. it's properly clever i mean it really is it's kind of the, the idea is you can recycle it in two parts it's um it's got a an inner sleeve that's recyclable and it's got like the outer cardboard bit um that is recyclable as well you sort of peel them apart uh-huh. um so yeah it, it's a it's a it's an amazing product it's winning awards all over the place so to be able to to be asked to market something like that i mean i, I was asked to do all the um the, the concept illustrations and designs for the bottle as well so as, i mean that's where my sort of two lives I suppose sort of come together um doing the marketing and doing the illustration stuff so that was kind of the perfect project for me yeah definitely it sounds like it and then tell us a bit about this one you've just done the girl on the shoreline project I've seen you up on kind of scaffolding painting a huge wall in Hull yeah yes uh, the shorelines project is is amazing um it's uh, it's taken us about a year to get it off the ground because obviously street art in Hull is is growing um that is getting a far better reputation the last few years there's been a lot of uh, a lot of work done to kind of get it more accepted but there's still there's still some people who push back against it there's still some people who don't see it as an art form um and it depends on the type of street art it is i suppose as well um so we had to convince kind of a lot of a lot of people who owned buildings around whole prominent buildings to give us their spaces um to allow us to install artworks and that's the key thing with it is it is artworks it's not just it's not just throwing kind of a bit of spray paint up um it, it's there's some really nice artwork going up um so the first one to launch the project was the girl one that i um i designed and i painted it along with um andy p who's an artist sort of based in hall um and then we're going to be installing another sort of 10 or 15 of these over the next year bringing in artists from all over the world um to paint some of the biggest murals that are going to be be in the city um i think we're probably going to break the record for the biggest mural in hull at least five or six times throughout the project so it's uh it's, it's, a, it's a really fun one to work on are you allowed to say what buildings it might be are they um they kind of yeah they're sort of all over the place i mean there's there's we've got a couple going up in um a couple of the uh, the big gable ends in old town um a couple over in uh sort of hesel road and, and beverly road is a couple over there um east hall's getting a couple um the idea is that the the shorelines project is is about uh, the flood risk in hull um so hull's obviously at kind of a massive risk of flooding and sort of like five different types of flooding as well so this is about kind of raising awareness and getting people to talk about flooding and see what's actually being done to address flooding in the city so the way we're doing it is obviously through art um but the idea is in each of the areas we talk to community groups we talk to people connected to the areas people and businesses to get their their sort of views on how flooding affects them how it's going to affect their families how it's going to affect their businesses that kind of stuff and then all of that feedback is fed through to the artists um, and then they design a piece in their style and then it goes up on on a wall somewhere um, so we're giving the artists sort of 
basically free reign to do their their stuff, but with a little bit of guidance from the local communities so they can feel sort of connected with the artwork as well. So was you approached about this or was it your idea? Um, we were approached as a marketing agency by by Rights Community Action. Um, and they had basically, they wanted to raise awareness of flooding, um, the, the issue of flooding in Hull and start a conversation. That's all. That's what Rights Community Action are about. They're um, an organization who sort of basically empowers the public to instigate change and lobby the government and do all that kind of stuff. Um, and then they said, like, right, how are we going to do this? Uh, so we we basically came up with the concept of the the mural trail um, and engaging with sort of our international artists and and kind of yeah doing this whole project. Um, and like I say, it took then a year to fine tune it and design it and get the permissions and get people involved. We brought on Andy P, who's our um, um, he's kind of a really experienced sort of international artist. Uh, so he spoke to some of the artists that he knew to sort of bring those in. Um, so we've got people like Jim Vision uh, coming up, who is just this incredible, incredible artist. So we've got people coming across from New York and Brazil um, just, just to paint kind of throughout the year. So the plan is this year, there's going to be a piece going up pretty much every month up until November. Um, so it's an absolutely massive project. But it's, um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the most fun projects I've, I've ever been involved with. That sounds fantastic. And are you there in the planning of what image is going on each building and, and who's going to be designing it? Are you there from the start to the finish or are you passing it over to the other artists? Yeah, no, well, as far as kind of the running of the project, because the, the side that we're, we're looking after now, cause I, I, I designed the original um, mural and I painted one sort of last week in Hull Station, kind of a window mural. Um, we're, we're dealing all, with all the stuff sort of behind the scenes. So we're doing all the marketing, we're doing all the PR, we're doing all the website and the social, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the community engagement stuff as well. We're working with Rights Community Action to do. Um, but then once that information is passed across to the individual artists, other than kind of facilitating them, so sorting out all their materials and accommodation and travel and all that kind of stuff, it's then up to the individual artists to do their piece. Um, we want to kind of give them as much as much freedom as possible within within the project. Um, so I think we'll end up with better artworks that way. And they're all artists that we massively respect as well. There's, there's, there's some amazing ones sort of coming across there, and I, I, I can't wait to see what they come up with. That's brilliant. And random question, but do you get scared being that high up a side of a building painting? Because <laughs> I know I would. <laughs> uh, first time I did it, yeah, it was horrible. It, 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 it's, it's, if you're on a scissor lift and it's waving around in the uh, in the wind and you're 30 foot up, it's it's terrifying first time you do it. Um, you kind of get used to it eventually. So it takes takes sort of a couple of days and then it's like it's like nothing. You know, you, you don't notice. Because it's big and it's high up, and yeah, mm. I'd be scared. <laughs> It's, it's 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 cold more than anything. Even if it's warm, warm, warm lower down. By the time you're sort of up there in the wind, um, it's absolutely freezing. And uh, trying to paint with your fingers freezing off is not it's not ideal. Um, but it's it's good fun. It's quite relaxing as well, to be honest. Do you get people watching? Yeah, look, I mean, normally, normally, if we do kind of a big mural, um, there's a, a ton of people come and talk to you and, and sort of engage with you, and it's, it's a really nice part of it, especially if you're doing something that is um, right in the centre of a community, and people start actually coming and sort of interacting with you. Um, obviously, the whole COVID situation is a little bit different. Um, we still get people coming up and talking to us, but it's more shouting at us from across the road, um, and we're not allowed to encourage people to come and talk to us either. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look great, so holding signs up and sign language, that kind of stuff helps. And I want to go back a bit more to your like favourite things that you like to do. I'm intrigued how where you get your ideas from. You do quite different styles, don't you? You do like your cartoon illustrations. So please correct me on the terminology because I might get it wrong. And then you do um, completely different, like these paintings. All your styles are quite different. What What's your favourite one that you find just natural? Easiest probably is cartoons because that's how I taught myself to draw. Um, it's how I teach people to draw now. So even even if I'm teaching somebody to draw something realistic, starting off with the same rules you use to draw a cartoon, um, you can then sort of add to it and develop it to turn it into a more realistic drawing. Um, the very sort of simple set of rules to kind of put put faces together and hands and all that kind of stuff. So drawing cartoons, I, I can I, yeah I find sort of particularly easy. Um, but it was I don't think I could just draw cartoons. So I, I'm I'm I get bored so easily. I mean, I really do. Um, even, even with, even if I am drawing something kind of really interesting, I tend to have something on my drawing tablet, I have something on my drawing board, something on my easel. Um, I tend to work on sort of two or three things at the same time because um, I, I just, yeah, 
I lose concentration to be honest. I'm uh, I need to be working on lot, lots of different things. Yeah, some sometimes I'll 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 be in that sort of headspace where I want to paint a portrait and I'll knock the whole portrait together in sort of like a few hours. Uh, sometimes I'll I'll do bits and pieces of that, go across to drawing a cartoon, go across to designing stuff for my job. Yeah, I sort of tend to dart around two or three things. Um, at the moment, on my drawing board next to me, I've got um, sort of two drawings that I'm halfway through that I've been working on for the last sort of couple of weeks. Um, but every now and again, if I want a break from something else, I'll just dip in and do 10 minutes on those. Um, yeah, like I say, because I mean, for me, it's like I say, it's part of my job, um, but I, I kind of find it quite relaxing as well. Um, so we're just sort of shut off and draw, it's quite nice. Especially at the moment, I guess it's a nice thing to be able to do. Oh, God, yeah, the amount of drawing I've done the last few months is ridiculous. I've, I've never, ever drawn and painted as much as I have in the last sort of like six months. It's been that side of stuff, it's been really nice. You should maybe bring out a COVID book or something of illustrations. Well, you say that, it's not, it's not a bad idea, to be honest. So. Yeah, remember to put me in the book. <laughs> I'll, 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 get, I'll get you to write the forward for me. So where do you get your inspiration from? Um, it kind of comes from all over. It's like I say, I'm, I'm a massive comic book geek. Um, I, I still love cartoons and comics. and the Same with sort of films and TV. Um, huge fan of lots of different types of things. Um, music, the same. I like almost every type of music you can imagine, depending on what mood I'm in. Um, so it kind of comes from comes from everywhere. Um, I, I never really, I've never really sat down and tried to draw stuff. I've never really thought like, right, I really want to draw this particular thing. So I'm going to sit down and figure out how to draw it. Um, I tend to just ha have an idea or think of something and then, you know, sort of start putting it together. Um, so it's, it can come from absolutely anywhere. Um, I've, I've, been, I've been in the habit for the last sort of probably 10 years now of um, carrying a notebook around with me. And my, my notebooks fill up within sort of like two weeks. Um, I've got thousands of the things. And any idea, any thought, any dream, any funny quote or observation or anything um, tends to go in there. Um, they get filled up really, really quickly. And sometimes I'll go back and sort of dip into there to kind of get inspiration. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that is absolute twaddle. Um, I'm never going to go back to it. But there's, uh, now and again, there's a little gem you can pick out to develop something from. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another thing that's kind of, um, it's nice to get sort of kids into doing that as well. Instead of trying to fine tune an idea and then writing it down or then drawing it, put everything down, absolutely everything, and then just sort of see where it goes. Um, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a nice way of working. I don't know what you think, but I think you, creative, I think people can be kind of naturally creative and, and in that world of arts and culture, they find it quite natural to them and they can put their hands to anything. And they do say that you've got like a dominant side of the brain. Do you yeah. agree with that or do you think anyone can put pen to paper and if you teach them, they will be able to produce a good piece of artwork? I think I think anybody can be taught to draw. Anybody can be taught certain rules and certain things to do to make them better at drawing or make them able to express themselves um, sort of through a drawing. Um, some people take to it more naturally. Some people find it much, much easier. Um, some people enjoy it far more than other people do. Some people still find it a bit of a chore um, and that's kind of that that literally the key with it um is, is is enjoying it so i know some people that hate writing having to write something is the worst thing in the world i absolutely love writing to have if i had more if i could do more of anything it would be to write more if i had two or three hours a day where i could just sit down and write stuff i would absolutely love that i just don't have the time um because i, I like creating stuff i like making stuff i like i like sculpting i like painting i like writing all that kind of stuff for some people all of that is a bit of a chore but I think, yeah, if, if, you, if you taught certain rules, I, I do think anybody can do it to a certain level. Um, it's whether they actually want to really run with it. To do that, you need to actually enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. And do you believe like a lot of people use it for therapy, uh, especially for children if they're going through hard times? Do you, do you agree with that and see why it's, why it's used a lot? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, for, for the last sort of um, probably five or six years, it's my, my sort of school sessions i suppose have, have turned into a little bit more of that um where it's not so much about just drawing cartoons it's literally about kids learning to express themselves and learning to get their feelings and their thoughts sort of down on paper um, and you do that through drawing cartoons and kind of drawing random stuff but it's a really nice way of um like i say once you once you take away all of those things where it has to be absolutely perfect and i have to follow these things absolutely perfectly and i have to be better than the person next to me once you get rid of all that and it's literally just getting your thoughts and your feelings down on paper. 
and it is absolutely therapeutic. It's, it's really useful. It's a nice way of kind of getting kids who who struggle academically to be able to express themselves and kind of put ideas together in a way that they they might not be able to write about them. They might not be able to explain it by talking to somebody, but they can they can draw it in pictures. Yeah. Um, but equally, people who struggle with the drawing the pictures might be able to write about it or they might be able to talk about it um yeah being being creative and sort of expressing yourself i think is 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 massively important and to people's mental health to people's development i think it's um is an important thing that kind of should be looked at more um i think a lot of people are starting to look at it more and it's been being brought in far more in schools um it's, it's like one of the frustrating things a few years ago was when we started seeing a few um, not all primary schools, uh, some primary schools scrapping art lessons. Um, I think that's horrendous. I think it's, it's, it's absolutely devastating. Um, it, it's art uh, for me was my, my way of getting through school. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I always sort of did quite well in sort of maths and science and all that sort of stuff, but I, I, I could do them. I never particularly enjoyed them. Um, art for me was this little haven that I could go into and just be creative and I absolutely loved it. And the thought of taking that away from some schools is, is yeah, not a particularly nice thing. I mean, a lot of schools are, are bringing it back or, or putting more into it. Or, and I mean, there's some incredible schools around Hull um, who've sort of done work with who who really put a lot of weight into into their art lessons and into the creative side of things. Um, and it might it might not just be art as in in drawing. It might be it might be dance, like I say. It might be creative writing. It might yeah. be music. Um, something in the arts. I think yeah people need that i think kids especially need need that especially as you kind of in your formative years i suppose as you sort of developing sort of ideas and how you think about stuff and how you approach stuff to not have art is is yeah it'd be quite a sad thing yeah and for all ages as well everybody can get something out of it can't they a lot of people i know have, have put pen to paper and started doodling or watercolors or having to go at something because we've got lots of free time <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's been it's been the nice thing about these lockdowns. Um, I know there's been a lot of kind of horrible stuff around them, but being able to just sort of step back and take stock a little bit and, and look at how you actually live your life and how you how you do stuff day to day, it's been quite nice. Um, I think it, it's probably going to be one of those things that in a few years' time, once things settle down a little bit and and um, the vaccinations sort of take hold a bit, that people look back on and either think, yeah, I used that time really well. And I'm really kind of happy with how I've sort of adjusted my life and I'm still living that way now. Or people look back on it and they're kicking themselves because they wish they had done something like that. Because, um, I mean, the opportunity, this sort of opportunity doesn't really come around that often, even though it's come from kind of quite a not a particularly nice thing. So is there um, a future goal that you really want to achieve in the next five years? So? There's, a, there's a couple of things. The main, the main thing for me is I... I Again, based on the last sort of few months, I want some more time to be able to write and draw um, just without an actual agenda to it, just to be able to write and draw, see what I can come up with, because um, I've kind of really enjoyed that. Most of the time when I when I draw these days, there's, there's a reason for it. I'm drawing for work or I'm drawing for a tutorial or I'm drawing for a book, or, and which is nice in itself, but I, I like sometimes just you know being able to just draw for the sake of it. Um, so a bit more time to do that. Um, and then... I'm hoping at some point in the next year or two to actually get my my first novel finished. Um, so I've written a I've written a children's novel that's up to sort of forty odd thousand words. Um, finding the time to finish that will be nice because it's a bit of a departure for me. I've kind of like obviously I've always done a lot of drawing and then writing alongside it, whereas this is just all about the writing with no drawing. So yeah, I'm kind of quite keen to get that finished at some point. And what age is that for? Um, probably sort of uh, sort of ten to fourteen roundabout yeah it's a fun one it's a kind of a in the same sort of style of a lot of my sort of younger books it's it's, it's a little bit scary it's a little bit gruesome it's a little bit gross um but yeah for a slightly slightly older audience than i normally normally work for so if you could draw anybody from the history that's you know past or present who would you draw and why it'd probably have to be if it meant I also got to meet them and spend a little bit of time with them. Yeah. Because um, uh, obviously if I painted the portrait, that's, that's the way it'd have to be. It'd either be um, Jim Morrison or B.B. King. Um, both kind of people I, w I wished I'd have been able to see in live, uh, see him play live. Um, obviously 
can't anymore. So yeah, to have that opportunity would be would be pretty amazing. So if we can time travel, I know where you'll be going. Yeah, in the exactly. Future. <laughs> <laughs> if you can sort that out for me, that, that, that'd be great. I'll try my best. We'll <laughs> see what we can do at Makerspace at Central Lab. I might be able to build a time travel machine. <laughs> Brilliant. There you go. You've got, you got your next project. <laughs> um, and if you could work with anyone, who would you work with? Who was your absolute inspiration that you'd love to meet and, and learn something from and get inspired by them? Who would you work with? Um, two, two sort of cartoonists, two artists who I kind of respect more than well, kind of above most people because it is a lot to do with how I learned how to draw. Uh, Quentin Blake, um, a huge, huge Quentin Blake fan. So I was lucky enough to work on a Quentin Blake project a few years ago, um, but not not directly with Quentin, but um, I would love to do some work with him. Um, and Stan Saki. Um, so Stan Saki is an artist who draws uh, a comic called um, Usagi Yojimba, which is a kind of a, a story of a Japanese samurai rabbit um sounds a little bit kind of weird but it's it's incredible it's so well written so well illustrated it's just it's such, a, such a nice a nice sort of um a nice story and a nice comic um and both of those played a really big part in me learning how to draw when i was younger so yeah it'd be be quentin blake or stan Saki, i think i've obviously heard of quentin blake because you did a fantastic mural for us at central library in hall didn't you I did, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a fun one. That was really good. That whole project was was great when um, he exhibited his artwork at the at the library. Um, yeah, always been a huge fan. So that one that one for me again was one of those where it was a, a really nice opportunity to kind of just sort of pay homage to somebody I kind of respect quite a lot. It was a it was a fun project. It was good. You know, it was a, it was a really fun one. That it was one of the one of those really sort of nice opportunities as well. Where both obviously you guys at the library gave me free reign. Um, is I don't think anything was drawn beforehand. It was kind of draw something in the style of Quentin Blake. So, yeah, okay. So I kind of made most of it up as we went along. So it was um, for, to have the opportunity to do something like that was, was brilliant. Like I say, yeah, it, was a, it was a really, really fun project to work on that. I didn't know that. I thought you had a little bit of an idea, but you literally did freehand on the day. I just pretend I have ideas. I'd, I'd make stuff up as I go along. <laughs> well, you did it very well. <laughs> Pretended I thought you had a plan and everything. Like I say, 20 years of practice of just winging it. So next up, myself and Katie talk to our colleague Matt about his job, what we've all been reading and watching during lockdown, before Matt, as a sci-fi geek extraordinaire, picks some of his current and all-time favourite reads and watches, as we discuss what appeals about these worlds to some and not others, and how we should all try and get out of our comfort zones from time to time. So you are the Makerspace Development Manager for the Library Service. I guess the key question, of course, is what what is the Makerspace? What is this Makerspace I keep hearing so much about? <laughs> yeah, the Makerspace is kind of, uh, one of the team members describes it as a gym for geeks, which is massively oversimplifying it. But it's basically a workshop where anybody can come along and they, they join us like they would a gym, so they pay a monthly membership fee. And then once they've paid that membership fee, they have access to a whole host of equipment and tools, ranging from like really simple stuff like hammers and nails, spanners, screwdrivers, right through to state-of-the-art things such as laser cutters, 3D printers, CNC machines, and pretty much everything in between. So what, what sort of stuff do people actually use the Makerspace for? What, what kind of things do they make in there? Is it one type of thing or...? It's a, a whole host. I mean, I, I use, I'm a librarian originally, so I used to say that, you know, you never knew what somebody would ask when they came in the front door. It could be anything from a crossword clue to family history. This is like that times a million. It's We've had people bringing broken shower heads in. We've had people coming and 3D printing parts for board games. We've had a chap building a frame and printing a canvas for uh, an anniversary present. And it's, it is just mind-blowing some of the stuff that people come in and do. So we have a whole range of people coming along and they bounce ideas off each other. They, they share skills and sort of offer suggestions and stuff like that for each other. It's really, really... It's amazing and inspiring to see people in there doing really cool stuff. Moving on a little bit then, I guess 
why I thought we'd start is by talking about what we've all been doing this past year or so in this kind of, well, nearly year now of lockdown we've been in and what stuff we've been doing to, to kind of keep ourselves amused, keep ourselves sane, what we've been kind of consuming um, in terms of books, films, TV shows, that kind of stuff. What about you, Matt? Uh, as you may have guessed from my job, I am a little bit of a geek and I was lucky enough to be able to get hold of a PlayStation 5 in November last year. Um, and have spent an obscene amount of time playing video games as well as reading and watching Star Wars lots. I'm a really big Star Wars fan. So my birthday, which was in May last year, was lockdown. I basically spent the day marathoning the Star Wars films and building Star Wars Lego. (laughs) Yeah, so lots of Star Wars and lots of games what what about you, Katie? What have you been doing during uh, during lockdown? Well, when I get time to myself, which is very rare, I like to read. But what I found in lockdown was I couldn't concentrate and I couldn't read anything. I wasn't focusing properly at all. And I don't know if it was just everything going on and work got a bit crazy. So I think I got more into films. And that was a real good thing to kind of get sat down with the kids and watching loads of films so we've watched all the harry potters and loved them but we started from the beginning and went right through all the harry potters and we do a board game night every week as well got loads of board games out that we haven't used in ages um and then we started doing star wars as well watched all of those and then me and my son really into marvel so we watched all the marvel from the start right through and we've only got two left to watch so that's been really nice for me and my son to watch that together it's interesting you said about reading there because i think for me i've probably read more in this past year than i have in the previous decade kind of put together wow and I, I totally know what you mean about you've got to be in kind of the right headspace to want to read because it it takes a lot of concentration and if you're not quite if you're thinking about other stuff it can be very hard to kind of like focus on a book yeah um, but I've found it a real nice release certainly this past year to have like books to kind of get into yeah it's normally my go-to thing I'd used to read like a book a week and and it, I just couldn't do it. I don't know why. I just, my mind was in a different way, I think. And it just wasn't finding that relaxing at all. Yeah, it's been lovely to do all the family stuff though, because you don't get time to normally do that. Everyone's busy with schoolwork. If we can get a positive out of everything going on, it's been the family time. has been really special. Uh, I know another thing I've I've really um, done a lot this past year is listening to a lot of podcasts as well. <laughs> yeah. Which is just, a, again, a good really practice. good... <laughs> a really good way to kind of like just turn off a bit and I love to put a podcast on and go and walk the dog um just for an hour or so and just kind of slip into another kind of world for a bit and just kind of turn turn your brain off for a bit I know you're a big podcast fan as well Matt what do what do you enjoy about them and what do you like to listen to yeah I, I was just listening to you talking about walking the dog and thinking actually yeah I am since lockdown started and we were kind of uh, limited to what we could do going out I've started walking on an evening only half an hour to an hour and I put my headphones in put podcasts on and off I go Uh, I tend to listen to kind of I'm going to use librarian speak and say non-fiction stuff Uh, I quite like the uh, infinite monkey cage which is kind of science comedy podcast and the qi elves do a really good podcast and i i'm a sucker for useless pointless facts so they're two great podcasts that i really enjoy listening to it can take a while to find something that that you like because sometimes there's just something not right you're listening to it actually i don't like this i don't like the tone i don't and and it's really hard sometimes to find something and i've lost track of podcasts that I've started and listened to a couple of and thought no this isn't for me and then gone on to something else I think it's like a lot of stuff if it's a, a particular kind of genre or medium that you've not been into before it can be quite hard to kind of like break into it it's taking that first step if you've you've not read a book for a while you're not really a film watch you don't really listen to podcasts how do you kind of like get started and I suppose it's recommendations from people you know you should you should check this out um, so that was what I found certainly, and I think once you've you've kind of found your first one that you're into, it, it tends to snowball from there because you'll go, oh, I'll, I'll read another book by that person because that was good. Once you're in, once you've kind of broken in, I think it gets a lot 
easier you've just got to try you've got to give stuff a go at the end of the day haven't you and you might not like it all but just kind of get stuck in and try stuff out yeah definitely i ended up watching two series of a netflix show about people refurbishing and rebuilding like trashed cars now i i have no idea how my car works i press the button and it starts it makes a noise and i can drive where i want to go but the thing that i like about netflix is that while it has those recommendations, there's an element of, I suppose, serendipity. Is that it's like sometimes it will just throw something up and you think, why have you recommended that? And then you end up watching one. It's like, oh, yeah, now I know why you've recommended this. <laughs> it's like stumbling across that blue book in the library and then, you know, it's one of the best things you've ever read. You, <laughs> you wouldn't have necessarily picked it up. So it's it's really weird and interesting. I think that's another thing as well that's interesting about maybe forcing yourself to try new things as well because that kind of recommendation cycle can work against you in some ways that you kind of get stuck in a little groove of just reading or watching the stuff that you know you know you're going to like and sometimes it's good to kind of force yourself to do that serendipity thing and just like you say just give something a go. It's like a comfort thing though isn't it like you, you, you like what you know and we found that a lot with maybe like our customers that use like the libraries, they, they know what they like and it's, they love it when we recommend other people because they maybe wouldn't have thought of it. And then they find a whole new genre or author that they really enjoy. But I think you can get used to a certain thing and it's just trying new things out, which has been another good thing in the last year as well. And 2020 is trying new things and, going for more walks and stuff that's been something we've done a lot more that we we wouldn't have really done my son's got loads of recommendations of films to watch and podcasts to listen to because he likes all the comedians and the stuff i've never heard of so i'd give it all a try and some like you say i don't like and i give it five ten minutes i think that's not for me and others i fall across them and i'm like oh this is brilliant love it As you kind of alluded to earlier, Matt, you're a, a kind of big sci-fi geek. Would that be would that be fair to say? Is that unfair? No, I think that's that's probably a, a, a fair assessment, shall we say? So I believe you've you've picked a few things for us to for you to talk about and for us to talk about um, today. Kind of some things you're reading at the moment, watching at the moment, and some all-time favourites. Yeah, certainly. Uh, what I wanted to start with is, and and this kind of also goes back a little bit to that sort of discovering something new. Um, this is something that was recommended to me by um, my other half, and it's been sat looking at her for about three or four months that she's finally picked up to read and has just got three or four chapters in and said, you need to read this at me. So it's The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. And for people of a certain age, uh, it's it's it feels very much like Princess Bride in terms of uh, a novel. It's it's technically classed as fantasy, but feels more like an adventure, like an exploration. Um, each chapter jumps around a little bit, so I know some people are quite put off by that. But at the moment, they're all they seem to be unconnected. But I feel they're going to end up being connected and it's it's kind of seems to be about stories and storytelling i don't want to say too much about it because i feel like i don't know what i'm going to say might be spoilers yet but it feels there's there's a real comfort uh, and kind of nice feeling around storytelling and so we've already talked about kind of comfort food and things that make us comfortable and relaxing and this feels like it's trying to bring that in and the, the idea that there are certain people who are maybe born to be storytellers and people who are born to be people who look after stories and and all and that sort of thing and it's it's really interesting because there are loads of little nods to things like libraries there's little sort of insider jokes for maybe people who know libraries well but then there's also literature based nods it's really clever and really enjoyable and i in fact i was told i had to stop reading because i'd got far enough ahead of the other half that she had to it's like stop it slow down because you're going to start talking about spoilers so so yeah we're something that we're sort of reading together but not if that makes sense 
it's always really nice if you you find yourself reading or watching something at the same time as someone else's you can kind of compare notes isn't it? it makes it more of a sort of shared kind of communal thing rather than just this kind of private thing um it can be a challenge though i think as you said there with and i don't know if this is particular to kind of like genre fiction as we might call it that so much of it's about the mystery and the reveal of a story that it can be really hard to talk to other people about it without giving away massive spoilers um yeah often the blurb on the back doesn't really tell you much for kind of very obvious reasons because the the joy of it is revealed in the telling of it so that can be a real challenge i find yeah, definitely. And I mean, we've spent ages and hours talking about this book on an evening to the point where we've, the, I mean, it's it's the sort of book where you start looking for clues where maybe there aren't clues. And I, I know that we have both sat down with a piece of paper and tried to work out if the main character's name is an anagram of something. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? It kind yeah. of draws you in so completely that you, like that that's there's a reason that there must be a reason that we get this character's full name every time he's mentioned why what's what's important about that and it it just sucks you in completely and i can see why she's recommended it to me it's interesting to see what you both will feel about it and how you both react to the story because it might be different you might have completely different feelings about it as well even though you're kind of reading it together your experience is quite personal, isn't it, with a book or a story of how it makes you feel. So it'll be interesting to see how you both think, what you think about it at the end. She's coming at it from a, a crime reader's point of view, and I'm coming at it from a fantasy reader's point of view. We, we already have, I'm going to say, heated discussions <laughs> about what we think is happening and what we think is going to happen. It's really, really, really clever, really enjoyable. And like I say, it's kind of a bit, it feels like that old school high adventure type thing rather than maybe fantasy, because I think fantasy as a term puts a lot of people off. Yeah, I suppose it can do a little bit. I think people don't always know what fantasy might be. They might have a certain thing stuck in their mind about what fantasy is. I personally aren't into anything like that. But then again, is that something I should try? Because I might really like it. I just imagine lots of fire-breathing dragons in another world. That's my band of fantasy, but I might be completely wrong. It certainly can be that, but it doesn't (laughs) have to be. I mean, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you've been watching Star Wars and kind of Marvel stuff with your kids. And of course, Harry Potter, Harry Potter is the classic fantasy universe in some ways. Yes, Um, maybe I am. I think there definitely would be stuff in that world that you'd enjoy. It's just, it's it's finding the right thing, isn't it? And that can be difficult. I think that actually to go back to a point we were talking about earlier about listening to podcasts and deciding it's not for you and moving on. I think a lot of people feel like when they're reading, they they don't want to decide, I can't give up on this. I've got to plow through. Life's too short for reading something you're not enjoying. Just stop, move on, find something else. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think you're dead right. And I think that does put a lot of people off books and reading that that feeling that you kind of have to invest in it in a way that maybe people wouldn't with like music or a TV show. You watch, you know, the first 20 minutes of something, you go, I'm not really into this. And you just turn it off and do something else. Oh, I don't like this album. No, stop, try to find yeah. something else. But with a book, and I've certainly been in that position where you find yourself plodding through something out of some yeah. kind of penance because you think, well, I've got to finish it. I've started this book. I've got to finish it. Why do we feel we have to finish a book? Who's going to tell us off? Yeah, it's not like the author's going to come round and bang on your door saying, you didn't finish my book. It's probably some residual school thing of having to finish books to do your homework or mm. something that's like, it's it's proper this, I must finish it. But you're dead right. Life is way too short. Just find stuff you enjoy because there will be something out there for everyone in all sorts of different genres that you can enjoy. So just find the thing you enjoy and do that. And it's what mood you're in as well like you might not be in the mood for that album that day but you could put it on a couple of weeks later and you write real into it because you just feel like listening to that type of music so it's like that with books so I wouldn't I wouldn't ever say don't pick that book up again don't pick that album up again or listen to that podcast again because you might find you really really into it later on another time so what else did you pick for us Matt so I also picked kind of uh, a couple of my my, 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 I suppose, comfort picks, if you like. William Gibson is one of my all-time favourite authors. And the first book that I ever read by him was called Neuromancer. I've been trying sort of this morning to to sum it up in in a short 
sort of sentence. And the best that I can come up with is a science fiction bank heist in space, virtual reality, and involving artificial intelligences. <laughs> I'm lost already. <laughs> At least I didn't get you to write the blurb on the back of the book. Eh? <laughs> Do you know, I'd read that. <laughs> yeah, so, so would I, to be fair. It's not something that's particularly clever or cerebral. It's just a, a good, enjoyable read. Uh, incidentally, the first use of cyberpunk as a written term. But yeah, the whole idea of logging onto this virtual world and being somewhere else is kind of appealing at the moment, shall we say? And the idea that, you know, people will go and live in this virtual world, will go to school in this virtual world and do everything online. And it's kind of, it was written in 1983, 1984. So it was very, very before the internet. That's that's something that I tend to go back and read every couple of years because it's, I, in fact, I probably already know most of it word for word. But So so you're a re-reader of books then, because that is not something I've ever done. Once I've read something, watched something, I'm kind of usually done with it. I don't, I don't really go back to stuff. What is the appeal of, of reading something or watching something again that you know so well? The obvious and easy answer is that it's comfortable and that you know the space, but actually I feel like it's like re-watching a film that you, you love over and over again. You notice different things each time you watch it. My favourite film of all time is 2001 A Space Odyssey. And that is, it's two hours where nothing happens. But I can watch it over and over and over and notice something different every time. And I think it's that you gain more understanding every time and you kind of learn more about what was trying to be done or trying to be said there. And that, I think, is is the appeal. 2001 is a really good example of that, actually. That is a film I would rewatch. But that's almost like listening to an album, that film. It has that kind of really epic, symphonic kind of like scope. So, you know, I'll listen to music constantly and listen to the same thing again and again, but not generally with film. But yeah, something like 2001 is almost the exception there, or, or things of that ilk. You feel like you can kind of wrap up in them and it's, it's yeah, it's a bit slightly different. I don't know why, but it is. It's funny how we're all different, isn't it? Because I couldn't reread a book because I've read it, but a film I'll watch one that I like or I feel like I can sit down and watch it, I, I would re-watch those. But I've never seen Space Odyssey. What do you mean nothing happens? <laughs> Pretty much that. <laughs> I mean, not, not literally, but I know what he means. <laughs> the basic synopsis of the film you could do in 10 minutes. Right. But the fact, that, but there's a reason that it's it feels like a really long film. That there are a lot of really long shots that are static. That it's almost like a two-hour-long arty music video, as much as ah, a, a right, film. Okay. If that makes sense. <laughs> not selling yeah. it to me, guys, really. But no, there no. we go. It's not for uh, everyone, maybe. But no. it's definitely the sort of thing. I think, like you said earlier, Kate, it's the sort of thing you have to be in the mood to watch. Yeah, you yes. wouldn't necessarily yeah. be thinking, right? This is a a Friday night film with a, a glass of wine and a pack, bag of crisps. It might be, or it might be for some people, it, but yeah. it might be more of a Sunday afternoon chilling out film. We're all different, but it's the sort of thing you have to be in the right mindset for, I think. Yes, yeah. I, I sat my other half down to watch it when we first started sort of spending time together properly. And uh, so, right, no questions, just watch it. I'll explain it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and how did it go? Uh, okay. I don't think she enjoyed it in the same way that I do. But yeah, it's a very colourful film and it, it the imagery in it is amazing. And that, I think, appealed to her, whereas I, that, I, I like that aspect of it, but I also like other aspects of it as well. So have you had to do that the other way around? Have you had to sit and watch a film or read yes. a book or listen to yes. music that you don't like? Yeah, and I mean, it, it's I mean stuff like we watched Dirty Dancing over Christmas this year. Favourite I've never. I've never seen it. I love it. It's my favourite film. That's what you're dealing with, boys. This is my favourite things, Dad. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's like, actually, do you know what? It wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. I've seen an awful lot worse. <laughs> but everyone has a different day at this, so I absolutely love all those type of films and could watch them over and over again and know them word for word. I don't think I'd, well, the old days when you used to go to Blockbuster and pick up a video, I don't think I'd pick sci-fi off. But there are certain ones I do like. 
I like, like you say, I love Marvel and Star Wars, so maybe there's other stuff I should try. But I often think that Star Wars isn't it's Star Wars isn't a science fiction film. Star Wars is an adventure film set in space. I guess what Matt's saying is Star Wars is it's about the story and the characters and the adventure they go on, and it just so happens it's set in space. You could rewrite Star Wars to be set in like another Wild West or it could be nineteen forties or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, I see what you mean. You'd have the same kind of adventure. Um, it'd just be a different setting. Whereas some sci-fi, like 2001, that that's a space-based thing. It's, it's kind of at the core of its being is this kind of exploration and the kind of wonder of what's out there. That's That's part of what that film is about. You couldn't set it anywhere else. I guess that leads us on then to kind of... You've, you've picked two or three things there that are all in that kind of sci-fi, fantasy futuristic speculative fiction kind of world there what is it about that that appeals to you so much it's uh, like you said it's that kind of that exploration of that unknown there's there's a brilliant quote with um i want to say somebody like sa Corey or something like that, who writes like proper hard sci-fi stuff and somebody once asked him at a convention how does the hyperdrive work and his answer was very well because it doesn't matter it just does but then there's a whole area of science fiction again that would go into the the detail of the science behind the technology for me i think it all started when i was at college and we were reading um mary shelley's frankenstein is something that i will always hold up as the first proper science fiction novel because it's 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 fiction written about science and the idea that that Frankenstein could build this creation and that it was based on science. It had taken the science of the world that they that that she knew and just took it a step further to that what if. And it's that what if that I think I enjoy most about the, the science fiction and the fantasy idea. Um, as well as the obvious escapism. it's Yeah, and I mean, you're kind of preaching to the converted with me, if I'm honest, but <laughs> y- you've hit the nail on the head for me there. It's that, it's the combination of the what if and the kind of the really big stuff that sci-fi and fantasy can explore. It's not just about kind of adventures in space. It's about asking questions that are quite relevant to where we are now in the world and you can explore really big ideas but then it also is just a rip row adventure in space. <laughs> That's it's yeah. kind of the, those are the two sort of appeals of it for me yeah. anyway. Don't you think there's elements in all genres though of the same that they kind of weave into each other? All of the different genres, there's elements in them all, aren't there, that are similar? Yeah, definitely. And um, we read for a reading group that I run a, a number of years ago now, Cloud Atlas which is a very clever novel. It's very interesting. It kind of takes four or five novels set at different periods in time. So there's a historical, there's a science fiction, there's a present day, and chops them into chunks in, I suppose, a similar way that Pulp Fiction has that beginning, middle and end, just not in that order. And you're you're reading a a story and then it kind of, it will stop mid-sentence and then, the next chapter is somebody discovering this old manuscript and having read up to that point, and then their story takes over. And and it's it kind of it's like Russian nesting dolls. As you kind of you go in and then you come out the other side and you find out the conclusions to all of these stories. But that's that feels like the same sort of thing. Is that there's there's no such thing as a specific genre. Everything kind of is intertwined and and tied together. But I think in all genres, there's like um, an element of like a troubled character or the character that sorts everything out or the character that causes lots of problems or I think whatever you're in, the, the author always has those characters that you could recognise in any genre. Yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of stories tend to have what, there's probably a technical term for it, but I call it the, the everyman. There's that kind of the character who's there to say, sorry, can you explain that to me in normal terms? Yeah. So that the reader can 
kind of ask those questions. So there are certain character tropes and sort of character styles that appear over and over again, whether you're reading science fiction or crime or romance, certainly. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about it being hard to get into new things. So maybe there would be like romance novels or family sagas, like a really well-written one that I would really like, but it's just I because I know so little about that world and, you know, that books, films, whatever, I, it wouldn't be something I would go to, so I wouldn't know where to start. And it's, yeah, it's it's where would you begin with something like that? You tend to stick to your little little comfort area that you know you're going to kind of get on with. I think we're all guilty of that. Oh, I bit. think so. Yeah, yeah, but your challenge now is you've got to pick a rom-com. Dan, you've got to watch it and feed back to me what you think. <laughs> well, that, that sounds like a challenge then, so... <laughs> I've got I'm glad I'm only a guest. You've got to pick and watch one and tell us what you think to it. Maybe you should recommend one that I'll watch and I'll uh, okay, recommend. Okay, I've got loads. I'll have to recommend some sci-fi for you. and then we'll, Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll compare notes next time. I can't believe you made me watch that, Katie. It's awful. <laughs> Let's never speak of it again. Or maybe, maybe it'll open my mind. Who knows? Thanks for listening. We're now available on all the major podcast platforms. Just search for Hull Libraries. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you can get all of the latest episodes as soon as they're out. In the meantime, if you want to find out anything about the Hull Library service, please check out our website on hcandell.co.uk forward slash libraries or check out any of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and we have a YouTube channel as well. See you next time.